0: Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? That was mildly enthusiastic. The rest of this should go pretty well. Hey, welcome to our cactus venue and chapel communities as they join us via simulcast right now. It's a good day to be in church. It's so good to have all of you here. I hope all of you have enjoyed your worship. And uh, we are going to do something kind of fun today. Jamie came to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, would you tackle these last two verses in John 15? I said, I'd be honored. That'd be great. And, uh, and then I kind of looked back, and we've been in John for just a little bit. And so we started chapter 15 a while ago, and because today's passage starts with the word but, and we kind of gotta go back and look at what came before it in order for some of this to make sense, Uh, we're going to need to kind of backtrack. And so I thought, why don't we just kind of quickly overview what John 15 is all about. So if you join me up here on the screen, this is basically the entire chapter of John 15 broken down. It's a really prolific chapter. I think as Christians sometimes we get really wrapped up in what the metaphor in the beginning, that vine metaphor means. And we we can kind of lose sight of the fact that that whole metaphor is designed to show us this. It's God's love. And so, so many times we can sit there and go, well, the vine and the vine dresser and the branches and some of these branches are going away and some are staying and some are pruned and what does that mean? And, and we can miss the fact that the whole metaphor is designed to emphasize what Jesus goes into and starts teaching right after that, which is this, it's God's love. It's the fact that the vine dresser loves the vine and cares for the vine And the vine itself is what feeds the branches. And that whole part, verses 1 through 17, are focused on love. And Jamie covered, two weeks ago, that topic of love. This series is called Love and Hate. And then last week, he walked us in verses 18 through 25 through this idea of hate, or persecution. What does it look like that God says, my love is for the world, that's why I sent my son And his desire is that none shall perish, that none would look at the love of God and say, you know what, that's not for me. His desire is that none would do that. And yet he knows that some will stand there and say, I don't like that. I don't want the love of God for my life. I've got it on my own. And he says, man, I hope no one does that, but knows that some will. And those who will, they will hate, or they will persecute you because of the way you live your life with the love of God. And so the two verses today that we've got are gonna cover this. It's courage is the title of the sermon, but really it's this. It's a provision for what happens when we experience persecution. And any time we experience any sort of persecution or trouble in our lives, God always has some provision for us. He's always got some way of providing for us. And this, don't you love this? The persecution will lead to God's provision and there will be a product at the end, which we'll talk about today. Pastors love alliteration. Sometimes we can't find our way out of it. And so that persecution provision product idea is what we're going to focus on today. And so many times, and really here's my goal for our time. So many times I think we can get wrapped up in how in love with Jesus we are and we kind of can miss the fact that the helper, as he'll be referred to in our passage today, is really the one who's been left with us. This deposit, this helper, the one who cares for us and is reigning inside of us, and we can miss that in the midst of it all, that that helper is God's provision in the midst of a world that can get tricky sometimes. So as we dive into this, uh, campuses, venues, would you just all bow your heads with me right now as we pray? So, Father, as we dive into this topic today, we thank you for the helper. We thank you for sending him uh, from Jesus. This is a beautiful passage, just these two verses that really key in on your provision in the midst of a world that at times will press in through circumstance and, and through difficulty with others. It's in the midst of those things that we find these challenges, and we have to figure out what do we do, and so we just, Spirit of God, we invite you in right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your place in our lives we thank you for the way that you come in and you so lovingly care for us. We thank you for this way that you work to empower, to purify, to reveal, and to unify us. And as we talk through those things today, just pray that you would open our hearts, that you would give us a place where these things resonate, and we come to see you as our best friend, one who loves us so dearly. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's do this. Let's read our passage for today and like I said, it starts with the word but and we've kind of contextualized that a little bit. Jesus says this. He says, "Listen, you're going to experience this persecution and then he follows it up with these two verses. It says, "But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning." And so if we were just to read verse 26, which is where we'll start today, if we were just to read the news of it, like just structurally what this sentence is telling us, it would basically say this, but when the helper comes, he will bear witness about me. In the middle of those two statements, we have these qualifying statements. There's three of them. And so they're not the focus of our sermon today because honestly, each of them could be a sermon. Each of these little phrases we could break down. And I didn't think, and maybe I'm wrong, if you guys wanted to be here for four hours, we could have done that today. I decided not to. So uh, here's kind of each of them. Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. These three statements are qualifying kind of the nature or the personality, the existence of this helper. And so if we were to just break them down quickly, what it's telling the disciples, the 11 that are left in this room, is that this helper, which by the way, do you guys think that the the disciples had any category for this helper being non-human? Do you think they had any category for that? No. They went, Jesus was awesome. He's a person. He's here with us. Another guy's gonna show up. That's what they're thinking. So Jesus is sort of starting to go, hey, I, I want to shatter your categories a little bit so that when this happens, one, you have trust that this individual's from me, and two, you don't have so tight a box that you're trying to fit him in that you can't see him when he arrives. So this idea all boils down to the fact that the Helper is going to be sent by Jesus, okay? It's that statement that says, um, I will send him to you. So he's going to come from Jesus, and yet he's going to do so from the Father. Meaning, Jesus, I'm going to send him to you, but it's when I go to be with the Father. That's why he says it's good that I go so the helper can come, right? Because what's the implication of the the inverse of that sentence? If I don't go, the helper won't come. Why? Because I'm gonna send him to you from the Father. And that's totally what happens. Jesus ascends and then Pentecost happens in Acts 2, and then that's when the Holy Spirit arrives for the church. The second piece of this is this idea of him being the spirit of truth. We're gonna talk about that today as this helper, the Holy Spirit, is the one who helps illuminate the scriptures for us. And then lastly, who proceeds from the Father. I really love this idea of him proceeding from the Father. Our our tradition, in the way that we think about uh, the Holy Spirit in our our Western tradition, for those of you that follow theology closely, if you follow the timeline, that's what the Western tradition believes, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son and the Father. And, And we see that here in this verse here today. Just so you get the picture of what helper means... The original Greek that this was written in, the only reason we ever talk about Greek is so that you know what that audience heard. It's the word paraclete. That's what helper means. And this word paraclete is so beautiful. It means this, one who is called alongside. So what the disciples would have heard that night in that room was, but when the one who is being called alongside comes. It's a beautiful continuation of the word Emmanuel. This is the season where we sing that song, isn't it? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Look at that. I throw questions out, you guys say nothing. I throw a Christmas song, you guys are in. (laughs) It's God with us. That's exactly right. Now, isn't this beautiful? The, 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 The Father sends the Son to accomplish our redemption. That's what happened on the cross, right? Jesus comes, sent by the Father, Goes to the cross and he accomplishes a redemption. And isn't this beautiful? As a continuation of that, what Jesus is pointing to today is that the helper is going to come. And what I'll submit to you today and hope to show you in in clear terms is that Christ was sent by the Father, he accomplishes our redemption. The Son, or excuse me, the Spirit is sent by the Son with the Father, and he applies that redemption. Everything that we gained through the death of Christ is applied to our lives. We gain access to that through the application of the Spirit in our lives. Here's what this looks like, and for those of you that just love to fill in your notes, you got 25 years of them at home in little binders, this is it. So here's our first two fill in the blanks. You can fill in all your notes in one spot, and then I don't have to worry about you guys taking it anymore, more, all right? First one, the Holy Spirit bears witness with us internally. This is gonna be verse 26 today as we talk about it. And then the Holy Spirit bears witness with us externally. And this will be verse 27. So internally and externally. Those are the two kind of fill in the blanks. And we'll start going through that. I think this is such a, a great way for us to think about the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Now, here's a great quote just to get us started. This is from Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology on the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. His work is to manifest the active presence of God. Think about that for a second. If you ever experience the active presence of God, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If we wanted to be super accurate sometimes, I know we sing songs all the time about feeling God's presence, and what do we say? I really feel Jesus right now. Kind of, yeah. But you're feeling the Holy Spirit manifesting the active presence of God. He is the gift that is given to you. He brings with him the presence of the Father and the Son, but yet it's him who has been given to us. So what I'm going to talk you through today is that the Holy Spirit does four things, both internally and externally. And those four things are that he empowers, he purifies, he reveals, and he unifies. He does that internally and externally, and that is what we're gonna talk about today. So this first place, and I'll say those over and over again for those of you who are writing them down, the first one is he empowers us. So what does an internal empowering of the Holy Spirit look like? It looks like this. It is your spiritual birth. The scriptures say that we are dead in our transgressions. You didn't have spiritual life until the Holy Spirit brought you to it. Does that make sense? You don't have a spiritual life prior to that. You are dead, capable of nothing. It says in the scriptures that we are dead, we are veiled, we can't understand the things of God. It says that they are folly to us, the things of God. This is exactly John 3. Uh, Nicodemus comes in and he's talking to Jesus and Nicodemus goes, what's this eternal life thing all about? And Jesus makes this great statement. He says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born anew. Nicodemus is coming in and he's kind of going, "Uh, I don't understand this whole thing. Jesus makes that statement and he he kind of says, Well, this is what it looks like. You got to be born anew. And, And Nicodemus goes, So a man must re enter the womb? How is this possible? It's not born again. It's not a flesh birth, Nicodemus. It's that you need a spiritual birth. You need an empowering, a generating of the spirit because right now you are dead. It's why these things don't make sense to you. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes in. He reveals Christ to us. He gives you the spiritual birth that you are incapable of on your own because you're dead spiritually. So when we feel stirred by the spirit, there's a reality that it's him who is generating that spiritual birth. That is an internal empowering that only the spirit of God can do. He purifies us. What does an internal purification look like? Well, when we're born anew, there's this process of us coming into relationship with Christ is an admission of current status. We go, I'm a sinner, I can't really get around that. I love the way that, I think it's Schrader who always says it, that says, I have empirical evidence that I'm a sinner. And we come and we just say, God, I've fallen far short. I, I can't really meet your measurements. And God's beautiful answer is John three sixteen. That's okay, I gave my son so that you wouldn't have to try and do something that you're incapable of. So we partake in the redemption that Christ accomplished, and it's the Spirit who applies it to us. But then this work starts, and the Spirit starts this internal purification. It's like a poking, right? Conviction. Anybody ever feel convicted by the Spirit? A couple of you? Good. (laughs) It's this Spirit going, hey, that thing's not good for you. Don't, Don't go that way. That's not a best thing. It says that the Spirit, when He comes, when the Helper comes, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness. It's Him going, that won't help, back to the best things in life. It's away from playing with the mud pies and back to the banquet table. I thought about this this week. We don't always treat our sin like that, do we? We don't go, gosh, great news, let me put that down back to the banquet table. We sort of try to hide our sin. Kind of tuck it away, keep it out of sight. Sometimes we think our sin is kind of cool. I, I thought of this this week, it's kind of helpful. We watch the news sometimes. Anybody ever see these people, we'll call them menza candidates, who have these exotic pets, right? It's like the guy who has the 25-foot reticulated python, eats him alive, they find him the next day, and they're going, what happened? And they interview his best friend, they're like, yeah, Randy had that thing since he was nine years old, I don't know what went wrong. <laughs> I do. He had a 25-foot snake in his house. I can tell you what went wrong right now. You got that guy who's walking around with a 500-pound Siberian tiger. He thinks it's awesome. Didn't work out great for Siegfried and Roy, but take that thing out for a spin. You know what happens when that 500-pound animal has a bad day? You'll know who owns who. We kind of treat our sin this way sometimes. You ask that guy who owns that giant tiger. He'll sit there and go, oh, no, 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 it's fine. Bring your you know, it's, it's tame, I own it. I am its master. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He says, that thing's not safe. Come away from that thing. That's dangerous. That thing will hurt you. But what do we do? We sit back and we go, uh-uh, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. No, 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 I, I mastered this thing. I own it. It's tame. Holy Spirit says no. You see, it's this mentality of kind of thinking our exotic pets are so cool that has that little time on the internet that we just kind of go, it's tame, I got it under control, that slowly but surely manifests into a full-blown pornography addiction. Right? It's just a couple of pills here and there. I just, you know, I used to have pain. I've got them around for a surgery, and, and all of a sudden, down the road, that fun little exotic pet of your sin life that you think is tame turns into an opioid addiction, turns into a heroin addiction. It's that flirtatious relationship at work oh no, I just, I just kind of confide in her or him. They're, they're, they're fun, it's, it's harmless, it's tame. They're my work wife or my work husband. If, by the way, if you say that, stop. I hate that phrase. You got one wife, you got one husband, don't elude. You're just naming it, you're making it tame. It's not tame. It's not tame at all. And down the road, what happens? Well, it was playful, then it was meaningful, and then it was a full-blown physical, emotional, relational affair. You know what happens? These exotic pets of our sin life, just waiting for you to have a bad day. And then that 500-pound tiger turns around. It devours your insides with toxic images from the internet. It takes your life because that addiction caused an overdose. It devours your marriage because it was just waiting for you to have a calm day where you weren't paying attention. And the next thing you know, you're on the news. You're a casualty. Why? Because sometimes we don't hear the internal purification of the spirit going, stop, it is not safe. Sin is not fun. It is not cool. That thing's gonna get off the leash and when it does, you will find out who owns who. That's the internal purification of the Spirit. He loves us so much. He's so in love with us that he goes, stop, that thing is dangerous. Come back to the banquet table. The Holy Spirit, third thing, he reveals to us. Internally, he reveals things to us. He was the author of the Bible, you guys know that? It's the Holy Spirit who revealed the words of God to its authors. And they wrote down God's word, both Old Testament and New. They penned the words of God, and they are now our infallible, inerrant word that we live our lives by. He teaches and illuminates those words. Not only did the Holy Spirit pen them through human hands, he illuminates them for us to understand. I got a great quote that a friend of mine gave me this week. It's by John Calvin, one of the great reformers. He says this, the testimony of the Spirit is more excellent than all reason. For as God alone is a fit witness of himself in his word, so also the word will not find acceptance in men's hearts before it is sealed by the inward testimony of the Spirit. Now, that's wordy, okay? John Calvin was smart, okay? I'm not, so it took me a week to kind of break it down. So I'm ahead of you guys on this one, but this is what it means. John Calvin is saying, listen, if at times we don't understand the Word of God, it's not because it's not excellent. It's because it requires the Holy Spirit for it to find its place in our lives. It requires the Holy Spirit to have an inward testimony to do this. That's for you. That's. That's the best things over there. Do you hear that? Do you hear the love story of God in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, in Judges? Do you hear the love affair of God in John 15 in the vine metaphor? That's for you. I love you. And I want these things to find place in your heart. You see, the Bible's beautiful. It's a living word. It's like no other book you'll ever read. You put it down, some people go, oh, I read this book every year. Awesome, awesome. What do you get out of it? I get a memory of the first time I read it. That's not how the Bible works. The Bible keeps meeting us right where we're at. Here's what's so beautiful. You've got these these realities that this book can meet my seven-year-old daughter in a place where she reads it and she goes, I can tell you, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And a man like John Calvin, who is a theologian and a brilliant man, we still say things that he wrote down today, can get to the end of his life. He died a miserable life, his body failing and falling apart on him, and he gets to the end of his life and is still going, this book is so deep and so rich, I just simply can't find its depths. A seven-year-old can find comfort in it and wade in the, in the shallowness of its waters because that's where it meets her. And a theologian of great stature can drown. That's the living word of God that meets us right where we are. He guides and he directs us. That's John ten twenty-seven. 27. It, we'll talk about this a little bit in the external. But all my sheep hear my voice. You hear the voice of God. You hear his guidance, his direction. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is on board. He is the one telling you there's something in this. It resonates. It finds its place in us. And last thing that the Holy Spirit does internally for us is this. It's an internal unification. I had a lot of fun with this one this week. Thinking about the fact that I understand the external unification. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. It's what? Fellowship. The Holy Spirit unifies us. But what does an internal unification of the Spirit look like? Well, we're born anew. The Spirit comes in and says, hey, I'm here. And then slowly but surely, he starts going, and I'm going to clean up, right? we got some things that are kind of flesh things over here. we got some things that I want to draw you to. It's this. It's Romans 8, 12 through 14. It's a beautiful verse. Paul sit there and he says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to, the, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Paul talks about this internal unifying all the time. He's always going, there's the flesh, and it calls out for me. It's the things of the world that I still uh, wrestle with, but I'm being drawn to the spirit. But the flesh and the spirit are always warring. I got this internal battle going on inside me, and that's the spirit going, best things are over here. Flesh things, put them down. Let me gather you to me. Let me reconcile you to myself. Let me unify you in spirit rather than in flesh. It's a life of fullness that we're being called to, to be spirit-led and to walk with him in courage as we lead this spirit-led life. The Holy Spirit is without a doubt one of the most amazing gifts for the Christian life. And without him, we are powerless to do what we are called to do, what we were made by God to do. So that's verse 26. That's that internal work in those four areas of the spirit doing some deep things in us. But verse 27 says this. Let's take a quick look at it. This is the external side. Jesus says to these 11 disciples that are left, and you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, From the beginning piece is a statement that kind of those 11 get to have. They were with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. He's been walking with them the whole time. And so they're sitting there kind of going, okay, we've been with you from the beginning, but that whole, and you will bear witness about me also, is this thing that we gotta kind of reconcile for ourselves some 2,000 years after the the moment it was said. And so the way I've kind of put this together, and I'll just read this statement because it kind of sets all of this up. If verse 26 is referring to an internal bearing or the Holy Spirit bearing witness in us, then verse 27 is referring to the external bearing or the Holy Spirit bearing witness through us. You guys hear that? Verse 26 is saying, listen, you're gonna need the Holy Spirit to make me make any sort of spiritual sense in you. But isn't this just like God? He goes, but I don't wanna stop there. I wanna bear witness through you. The things that I will do in you are so powerful, so rich, and so life-changing, you will not be able to contain them and they will spill the boundaries of your life. And they will start to move through you. That's, isn't that God? He goes, listen, I don't just want to clean y'all up. I want you to go have the joy of sharing the good news of what I've done in you. And I'll start moving through you. So let's go through those same four things. Pretty simple, right? What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to empower us externally, like Jesus is talking about here? What does that look like? What's ministry? What's ministry? It's service to God. We have so many, so many of you volunteer in powerful places in the church. Some of you are gifted to teach. You teach classes, small groups, you one-on-one disciple. It's beautiful. And yet, anyone who's ever done anything meaningful for God would say the same thing. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. There's just no way. I'm not capable of that type of experience. I, I can't generate that type of deal. God showed up and moved through me. That's the Holy Spirit's empowering. He, you see it in the Old Testament. It's all the judges. Like these people get raised up for these specific purposes and they're going out. And In many cases, they're rescuing Israel from this ongoing lapse between righteousness and sin, righteousness and sin. Same thing with the prophets. We see that God's spirit is descending on these individuals to speak on behalf of God to Israel over and over and over again. It's actually spoken of in the book of Joel, this coming of the spirit. This is Joel 2. And it says this, verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And in Acts 2, when I kind of say like, hey, this is when the Holy Spirit came and boom, it's game on. At that point, Peter steps back and says, this is the fulfillment of that verse. The church age has begun. The Spirit is live and well. In the New Testament, it's great. We see it all over the place. He empowers Jesus at Matthew 3. That's his baptism descends like a dove. Uh, In the wilderness temptation, it says that the Spirit was with him, empowering him. That's Luke 4. In Luke 9, it's great. He, Jesus is standing there. He kind of empowers the disciples with the Holy Spirit. They go out and they do crazy ministry. They come back and they're going, hey, this is different. This is weird. We're not sure what's going on, but crazy cool things are happening. And then in Luke 10, just one chapter later, it's 72 followers. Not disciples, just followers. He does the same thing and they do the same thing. And then, like I said, Acts 2, Pentecost happens. Christ has ascended. He is now with the Father, and he is sending the helper. The helper comes like a rushing wind. And now, like I say, the goose is loose, and the presence of God is manifest through the church, all those who have a relationship with him. That is the external empowering. The internal work has happened, and it is now spilling the bounds of the human life. So what does it look like to externally be purified, what does that look like? Well, if that internal conviction starts to tell us, hey, there's things that are going on, we've been born anew, and now there's that conviction, what does it look like to spill the bounds? What does it look like when our purification starts to make it its way into our actions or some of the ways that we see the world? I got to meet with a, a woman this week, and she has, uh, I met her in physical therapy, and so uh, she'd come in and kind of ask for just a little bit of prayer and direction, and so we'd met, And I just sat there and was talking to her and I've gotten to know her family. They've started to attend Scottsdale Bible, so I've become her pastor and I've gotten to know her sons really well. And so as we're sitting there talking, uh, she started sharing her story of her journey over the last five and a half years. And I was so inspired by what God has done as he's walked so closely and grown her so much over the last five and a half years. I asked her permission to share it with all of you today. Uh, Five and a half years ago, my, my friend Angie went in and she had an MCL tear in her knee. So she went in, she was a great athlete. She was a second degree black belt at the time and was just kind of rocking and rolling through all of her hobbies and her athletic different endeavors. And hey, I got an MCL tear, no problem. Three weeks, we'll have you back up and running. Because of some abnormalities in the way that her, uh, her body heals, that the MCL didn't heal correctly, and so there was some scar tissue, and so it led to problem after problem, they kept trying to do it orthoscopically, couldn't, so it led to a full reconstruction of the knee. And then that wouldn't heal correctly, and so then it was, hey, I'm really sorry, we're gonna have to do a full joint replacement in that knee. Gosh, I'm so sorry, but the, the scar tissue is just continuing to build. We keep cleaning it out, but it keeps coming back. She would go into some of these surgeries, she told me, and the doctors would look at her and they'd say, listen, I know that this is hard to hear. We just want to prepare you. It's not uncommon we have to do this type of procedure that we have to take the leg. She was, okay. She sat there and she told me about how she would go into these surgeries going, okay, this might be the last time I see my leg. And she would wake up and she'd see her leg and she'd go, oh, gosh, all right, it's still here. Keep moving. It's been five and a half years, and now, because of, again, abnormalities, she's starting to develop some blood clots that have become life-threatening. The end of December, she will go in for an amputation above the knee. Can you imagine? A simple MCL tear that's supposed to be just a three-week in-and-out orthoscopic has led to the loss of her leg. For somebody who's athletic, I mean, many of you who enjoy being active, uh, for those of you who enjoy just sitting, you're going, sounds pretty good to me, but... This was an unbelievably difficult thing for her to wrap her brain around. And so as we talked, I was so inspired and you guys have heard this before. I don't ask this question to be sadistic. I just, it's always on my heart. I asked her cause she was so close to the Lord to this whole thing. I said, Angie, I'm gonna ask you a really tough question. I just would love to hear your answer. Would you go back five and a half years and trade all of the spiritual growth that you have for a healthy leg? She just went, no oh no I've come I've come too close to the Lord I've come to experience too much of him I I I feel so close I could never learn to live without this again but he can teach me how to live without a leg yeah that's right I ask those questions sometimes because God's kids need an opportunity to realize how much they've grown guys that's it That's what it looks like to be externally purified. It's the fact that she's sitting there and she's having this realization that her very body, her leg is going, oh oh no. You see, I want Christ at all costs and I have some Christ now because of what the spirit has done and grown me in. And so I'd rather learn to live without this than to learn to live without this. The external purification of the Spirit is so beautiful that it's, it's this, it's us losing our appetite for the things of this world because we have become so satiated by the things of God. He has made his way into our heart in places that we would never give up. It is why Paul says, listen, to die is gain. I will lose this life to have more of him. That's it. When the Holy Spirit starts to dim the things of the world, because the things of God have become so beautiful, that is us being externally purified. So what does it look like for us to experience external revelation? What does it look like when the Lord reveals things, because we've talked about that today, that he reveals things to our heart, but then we start to see those things at time, we feel spirit led. We feel stirred to to say things or to kind of move. I just wanna kind of qualify this a little bit for I'll use three examples today. And one's kind of like a wow example. And the other one's pretty practical from my life. And then the last one, I wanna get really practical with you guys by way of sort of kind of protection at times, as well as kind of qualification and instruction. The first of these examples uh, happened in 1984. So it's kind of cool my wife was six weeks old. She was on the stage at Camelback Bible Church. She was in the arms of Pastor Malcolm Cronk, okay? Some of you may have gone to Camelback Bible, you knew Pastor Cronk, and uh, someone came up last night after I preached and said, we know his family really well, and I, he you know, passed away a few years ago, and so uh, there he is, and he's holding my sweet wife, six weeks old, my uh, father-in-law, my mother-in-law are right there on stage, and he gets done kind of with the dedication, and he looks down at my wife, just six weeks old, right there in his arms, and he says this, this one, will be a pastor's wife. Say what? (laughs) I mean, a couple of things are pretty cool about that, okay? One, uh, Camelback Bible is not exactly the seat of charismania in Arizona. Neither are we, by the way. (laughs) Some of you are going, and I'm fine with that. Careful where you go with the rest of this example. What an amazing thing for a pastor to feel spirit-led in that moment and to say, hey, this is what's on my heart for this child, and I'm just gonna share that. And very wisely, my in-laws kind of tucked that away. They didn't share that with us till about six months ago. So it's kind of funny, like when I talked to my mother-in-law this week, she was just saying, you know, gosh, uh, we didn't you know, really feel led to share that with Jamie because the, you know, the reality was, that'd be a lot, right? I mean, to have that spoken over your life and then go out and go, all right, I gotta go looking for a pastor, right? <laughs> yeah. Put yourself in my mother-in-law's shoes in 2006 when she, my, your daughter brings this guy home from the Salty Senorita. <laughs> yeah. Vegas would have given Sue Clough long odds on that one coming true. But what great discernment, because for my in-laws, they shared that with us a while ago, and, and my mother-in-law is so sweet this week. She, she said, you know, God's so good, because he doesn't give us what we want, Every time he gives us what we need. You know, they could have shared that with my wife. She'd have gone looking for a pastor, but God's plan was to make one, not to give her one. And she's in this service, so I can talk to her. But um she shared with me a while ago. She said, you know, I've prayed for my wife's husband since she was born. And uh and she's prayed for me for a long time. And so to get to tell her thank you for all the years that you prayed for me before you knew me, and thank you for all the years after. Um it's really sweet. <clears throat> I always appreciate you guys clapping, giving me a chance to catch my breath. But isn't that it? Like, this pastor felt led. And lo and behold, 30 years later, you know, there's this incredible opportunity that the Lord moved me through a pretty circuitous path. And that kind of came to fruition. That's a sweet thing. Uh, my own example it's right now, guys. It's preaching. The spirit, I mean, just so you know, Jamie talks about this a lot, and I I do too. There's this reality for us as pastors that we do an exhaustive study of the passage that we're going to preach on. I try and figure out what it is that it means within the context of the verses that's around, within the book it's in, within the entire love story or the biblical narrative from tip to tail, sitting down and understanding everything from the language to theological structures that it could employ. And I have to sit down and do all of that, and you guys hear about 10% of what we end up studying through the week. Hours and hours go into it. And my hope is that the Spirit is present in my preparation, but that the Spirit is present in my presentation as well. That the Holy Spirit is not bound by my outline that I prepare. And so many times what happens is I will sit there and I will put everything together, and then phrasing or little statements or stories end up getting shared within it that aren't in my notes. So it's really fun as a pastor when you kind of walk on the way out and someone will stop you. Hey, Pastor Rustin, what was that thing you said? And you're like, uh, I don't have that. That one was from the Lord. I got nothing. And I'll always say the same thing. I'm so glad that was encouraging. You know why? It's got nothing to do with me. That was something that the Lord did with me. Now, here's the sweet part. When I do this, this is me and dad going to play. God's given me a gift. I get to do this. What a gift. And when I do that, I get to go up and it's just me and dad kind of, hey, thanks, this is so much fun. And he's right there smiling at me going, hey, go have fun. I'm here for you. I'm proud of you. And so there's times when I walk out and someone goes, I was really encouraged by this. And I go, that one was just for you. I don't have it in my notes. I'm glad it was encouraging. Here's what I can remember best of all, but the spirit should be present in my presentation. But let's get practical for your lives because there's a good chance you may never stand on a stage during a child dedication you may never preach a sermon. So what is spirit-led? Like, like Paul says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Don't go fulfill mine, fulfill yours. What does your ministry look like in being spirit-led? What does it look like for you in a small group or at a coffee with some friends? It, it, it's, it's tricky sometimes. I feel the spirit moving. I feel like there's something going on in my heart or my life and, and I, I've got something on my heart for you. And here's what happens. I want to guard against this because here's my fear. I fear at times that charismatic churches and movements have hijacked the Holy Spirit. And at times we're so afraid of going too far with the Spirit that we don't go at all. And there's a difference between pursuing cautiously, making sure we're staying within the rails and going, I'm just not into that because it got weird. And the hard part about being Spirit-led is we've got to put some rails in place. For some of us, and I I run in some charismatic circles at times, so people will come up. And this is my favorite thing when people come up and they go, hey, Rustin, God told me. You know what I want to say? I'll be the judge of that. Right? I got the Holy Spirit. And they'll share something and they'll go, oh, well, it was this, it was this, it was this. You're supposed to go do this. And I'll go, you know, God hasn't told me that just yet. So here's the thing. If anybody ever does that with you, I just want to protect all of you. Feel very free to do this. Hey, thank you so much for sharing that. I'll take that to the Lord. I appreciate you being bold. That's it. That's all you got to do. One person was super pumped about that. (laughs) Here's the other caution I would give you. If you're sitting in the room right now and you're going, oh, Pastor Rustin has given me freedom to just go start finding strangers and blowing them up with the truth of God. I'm not talking to you right now. (laughs) If you feel eager to get out there and I just can't wait to go start talking to people, That's not it either. Being spirit-led means being spirit-empowered. It's those times where we sit back and we go, man, this." and here's the best way to do this, by the way. If this is for you, or you're kind of sitting there going, how do I do it? Just simply do this. Hey, I've been praying for you. Here's something that was on my heart. It works best in relationship, by the way. Like just walking up to strangers. I know that the Lord can work that way. Be honest, our church isn't ready for that. So just chill out. But somebody you got a relationship with, something's on your heart, hey, I've just been praying for you. Here's what's on my heart. I love you. You can go sort it out with the Lord. Not really sure what that's going to be, right? And see what the Lord does with it. It is not our job to force, to coerce, or to convict. That is Jesus' job in people's lives. Do you understand that? Our job is simply, you, keyword, I just want to submit this to you. And then be available to walk through the process. If they look at you a week later and go, that didn't really resonate, it wasn't from the Lord. Okay, great, that could be bad pizza on your part, move on. But just support them and love them, that's the goal. So with that, being spirit-led requires requires trust and humility. Last thing, spirit unifies us externally. Fellowship, right? That's hard. Fellowship's hard. Do we understand that? All of you are like, yep. Yep. That's why I'm not talking to anybody today. (laughs) It's tough. You guys are tough. That's it. He he unifies us. That's why Paul says, there's not Jew, there's not Gentile. It's one man unified in Christ. So what does all this boil down to? We talked about God's provision in the midst of persecution, but it creates a product. That product is a spirit-led life. And here's what it should look like. It should look like courage. It's the title of our sermon today. A spirit-led life should be courageous. It should be a life that moves as we're being empowered and purified as the Lord is revealing things internally. You don't look at the things that are still of the world that are in us in that internal purification and we go, ooh, I don't like those things. I don't wanna look at them. Be courageous. Go get into your stuff. Let the Lord start working it out of you so you can live free in Christ, putting the things of the flesh down and living a life led by the spirit. Courage is tough for us to define. I found a quote that I think is beautiful. Mark Twain says this. He says, Courage is resistance to fear. It's mastery of fear. It is not the absence of fear. Fear is going to be present in your life at times. It will rear its ugly head over and over and over again. Being courageous is not being fearless. It's moving on in the midst of it. It's mastering your fears. So when fear crops up, we press on. We sit back, and in fact, if you think of it this way, if that quote's true, and I believe that it is, then fear has to be present for courage to exist at all. So when fear crops up, courage is saying, I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna continue pressing into the things of the Lord, even when they're ugly, when they're scary, when they're those old, debilitating sins that have sat in my life for decades. I will be courageous when the Lord brings them to the surface. And so here's my closing question for you today. Is this your life? Is this what your life looks like? Is this what we're doing? In the church today, are we sitting here at Scottsdale Bible Church in all of our venues and all of our campuses, are we feeling internally witnessed to by the Spirit? Is He bearing inside of us in those areas? Is the Holy Spirit's work in your life spilling the bounds of your human existence into the lives of others? Because if it's not, then what I want to tell you is that's one of the the markers of being a son or a daughter of God is that the Holy Spirit is moving in us. He's purifying us. He's revealing things to us, and, and we're moving in that. We have great fellowship because he's unifying us both internally and externally. As he internally purifies me and he unifies me to himself, I'm able to be in great, rich relationship with other believers. Is this your life? Is the spirit bearing in you? Is the spirit bearing through you? Because that's the Lord perfecting us, bringing us to fullness in him. I want you to ponder that in the week to come. Let me pray for us. So Lord, today I know that this is so hard for all of us sometimes. It's hard for me to sit back and to to watch the spirit continue to do these things and to to find its way into my life in, in perfect ways. And so my prayer over all of Scottsdale Bible this morning is just simply this, that you would continue to stir us, to move in our lives, that you would empower us to do great things, that you would draw us close as you purify us so lovingly, that you would reveal great things, and that, Lord, you would continue to unify us. Father, continue to stir. Holy Spirit, thank you for your movement. We honor you today. We know how much you love us, and we love you too. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.